This is a podcast from Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk. Pleased to report that um, I sound poorly, all right? Sound a little bit. I often sound nasally, to be fair, but, <laughs> uh, but, but I am better, so thank you for all your concern. <laughs> yeah, you know, nobody. How are you, Matt? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I've seen you. So as time goes on, I'll start to sound more like Barry White. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 11 through 15 is where we're heading today. Um, I'm hoping that, you're, uh, that you can remember the last two weeks um, if you were around. Um, of course, if you weren't around, they've been available, so I'm sure you've listened and you're all up to speed. Uh, we're now in the second section of our look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and Paul has helped us to see our destination as Christians and also um, our, posi- our position uh, before a holy God. Why? Because of Christ. For no other reason but because of Christ, we know what our position is before a holy God. He's also prompted our thinking about what we're doing for him. Um, and who um, ultimately are thinking on why we have received or how we've received life. And remember, as we think about those things, Paul encouraged us last week um, to just sort of put those things into perspective, that we're not looking at our life from a moral standpoint, a moral Christianity. I have to do, I must do, I better do, but rather out of that redemptive Christianity that says, I do because I am loved. I do because what else could I do, knowing the facts that I've been saved, redeemed, set free by a wonderful saviour, that God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. That as I put my faith and my trust in him, I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. Knowing what Christ has done for me, what else would I want to be doing? question mark what else would you want to be doing question mark Paul is now going to uh, drive this home in this second section if you remember in week one I said that this um, passage was split into two by those that translated the word um, and they put the first half being our heavenly dwelling and then you'll see halfway through the chapter um, it's been titled the ministry of reconciliation wow sounds so complicated We pray that it's not going to be too complicated. Let's just have a a read. Uh, Verse 11, and we'll we'll go all the way to 21. That'll allow us to just keep this second section in mind. Since then... We know that what, is, uh, what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What, are, uh, what we are is plain to God, and I hope this is plain to your conscience. We're not uh, trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them 
and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now as we look into your word only for a short time that, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts and our minds, that, Father, you would help me as I bring your word, that you would speak through me, and, Father, that we this morning might make much of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might make more of the fame of him. And, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity. Bless us now, Father, as we look together. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Paul begins in verse 11. He sort of says, you know who you are. You know why you are. So start to tell people about that. You know who you are. You know why you are. So persuade men. Start telling people about Christ. Share the gospel, the good news. And that's a concept which... Well, from this church, from this pulpit, from this platform, this is what we tell week in, week out. We share the gospel. We encourage you to share the gospel as well. But he really begins now, Paul does, to open up this concept. Um, and if you're a, a writer of notes, uh, in my Bible, it's there's scribbles everywhere. They make sense to me. Somebody else picked it up. They'd be like, this guy's crackers. To be fair, without picking it up, you may think you may think that anyway. But uh, in verse 11 and also then in verse 20, the concept is that we are to be living for Jesus. And that's the concept that Paul's going to pick up now and he's going to run with it, that we're to be living for Jesus. And just listen to these two things, not to him or from him, although both are true, they are static, they're not progressive. So not just to him or from him, rather God wants us to be living for Jesus. So we understand what's gone before, we understand what's to come. Paul's made that really clear to us, but there's a bit in the middle. And this is living for Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis, living out our life for him, living out our God-given purpose, not just sitting there and going, I'm saved, good luck to the rest of you. Or rather sitting there and going, the wonder of salvation is so great, I just want to sit here and bask in it. But rather it's a life that says, I know what I've come from on my way to hell. And I know now because of Christ, I'm on my way to glory. But in this middle point, what do I do? Well, I live for Jesus, amen? That's what we're to do. We're to live for Jesus. And Paul's now going to drive this home. God wants us to live for him, meaning our all is on offer. Our all is on offer to God. 
Paul encourages the church in Rome to think like this. Um, Romans chapter 12 um, and verse 1, uh, very known verses, again says this, he says this to the church, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, that our whole self is on offer to God. And Alistair's prompted us a few times to just have in mind that the problem with a living sacrifice is it can get off the altar. That I can go and do what I want if I really wanted to. If I should be that way inclined, I don't have to be here on a Sunday. It's not out of moral obligation that I'm here, is it? Remember what Paul's been telling us? We're here because we want to be here. We're here because we want to worship him. We're here because we want to bring him praise. We're here because we want to make much of the name of Jesus. Amen? Yes, we want to enjoy each other's company. And yes, we want to enjoy the refreshments. And I'm told today that they are staggering. The word that was used before I even got through the door today is the snacks will be exquisite. What a word. It's underused, I tell you. But that's not, the re- that's not the main reason that we're here. We're here because we want to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul has prompted us then to think about who we are, that we're a living sacrifice, that everything we have is on offer to God. Everything is given in service to him, in love for him, and knowing the love that he has for us. We can simply draw the conclusion, because it's a Sunday and you're in the frame of mind, that what else would I rather be doing? I wouldn't be better placed anywhere else other than here. Because that's what a Sunday morning says to us, isn't it? And the quick answer is really, in truth, that there is absolutely nowhere or nothing else, no other purpose that is greater than what we are doing here this morning when we share the good news, when we share the gospel, when we share of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing better for us to be doing. Nothing. There are so many times when I'm on my day-to-day during the week and I can think of better things to be doing. Believe me. And I know you're exactly the same. The grass needs cutting, but I can think of better things to do, amen? (laughs) The fence needs painting. Please, Lord, let it wait. There are better things that we can be doing. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, that is the pinnacle. That is the the zenith. Oh, I know. (laughs) That is the thing. That is the one thing that as Christians we should be doing. Sharing the good news of our Savior. What a difference it makes to our life, let alone the person that we're telling. Because it enables us to realize who we are, the joy of our salvation, remember, that we're saved. This is good news. I want to tell people. And Paul's pushing us to just remember. He says, you know who you are, you know why you are, so persuade. Talk to those around about you. Share the good news of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds his audience then in the next few verses, 12 and 13, um, that there are false teachers that have wayward actions and wayward motives. 
And then he gets to this lovely phrase that I'm sure we've all heard of if we've been around church for um, any period of time. Um, and it, it comes from uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. I mentioned it last week. I didn't want to pinch too much from this week. But we feel compelled to live for Christ because of what we've already read and understood, even just from this morning, but over the last couple of weeks. Because of that, Paul then pushes home this living for Jesus. And it's interesting because I know that we're all the same. And there's so often times when I think, well, what else, what else could I be doing? Um, or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm maxed out, there's nothing more I could do. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I would do something, but I don't know what to do. Anybody ever thought like that? You know, I'd love to talk to that person, but I don't even know how to start the conversation. I wouldn't even know what to say. How do you even get yourself to a place where you're talking about Jesus? Other than it being, truthfully, often towards you in a negative way. And I think they're quite good opportunities. Because when people start blaming God for things, you start to say, well, I didn't think you believed in God. You can't blame him for the bad stuff, brother. <laughs> If you don't believe in him for the good stuff, you can't blame him for the bad. And then you're in a conversation. And Paul is now saying to us, right, okay. So in these positions, in this moment where we're called to persuade people about Christ, where we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, you may sit there thinking, I am. You may there sing, uh, sit there thinking, um, maybe that I'd like to, but it's so difficult in my situation. Or perhaps, um, I would if I knew what to do. Or maybe even, I can do no more, really. And wherever or whenever I think about this gospel-centered life, this sharing the gospel with people on your day-to-day, -day, I'm drawn to the young boy um, in, uh, we're, we're going to look at it from John, but it's in all four of the Gospels. Um, I'm drawn to the young boy who had five loaves and two fish. Um, and he had his packed lunch. That's all he got. And, and my two, well, my, my eldest takes a, a packed lunch to school. Um, and it, it's, it's enough for a 10-year-old to survive on. I'd have to eat the box, if I'm honest. Um, but it's enough for a 10-year-old to survive on. And essentially, that's what we've got here. We've maybe got, you know, a couple of sardines and, and, a, and a few bits of bread. Just enough for him to survive on, you know? And that's all he's got. And Jesus is in a position now where he's isolated, along with 5,000 men plus the women and children, 8 to 12,000, essentially. A lot of people. And they're in a position where they cannot get any food. They're snookered, or so it would seem. And we find the story, as I say, in all four of the Gospels, but particularly in John chapter 6. And if you've got your Bibles, just turn with me. It'll be up on the screen um, anyway. But listen to this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed uh, to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Um, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
Now, thankfully, John just helps us understand what's happening here. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. <coughs> Philip answered him, eight months' wages uh, would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five loaves and two fish. No, he doesn't say that. Have a read. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. I like the descriptive uh, element to that. Is that, a, is that a verb? Look at you, Law. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you're all cockney all of a sudden, but anyway, I'll move on really quickly. <laughs> um, it's, and he says then, here is a boy with two small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? You can almost hear him giggling. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Hang on a minute. We've got two small loaves and two small fish, and all of a sudden, we're feeding 5,000 plus people. It's a head-scratcher, yeah? But serving God with our all means we do exactly what this young boy did. He didn't have enough. That is fair to say. He did not have enough. But regardless, he brought it. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I've not even got the eloquence to be able to speak to people. There's no way I'm confident enough to stand and talk to anybody. Oh, I wouldn't even know what to say. Regardless of what he got, he brought it. But also on the flip side of that, he also brought all he had. This is all I've got. You think of the widow's might. She gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had and said, God, you're better with this. You can do more with this than I can do with it. And the truth is that without Jesus, either way that you look at this scenario, either way, whether I've brought everything Oh, look, I've only, I've only got this. Either way, it is not enough. Without Jesus, it is not enough. But, of course, Jesus does the impossible. He does what's impossible for man. Luke 18, verse 27 says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. He prays and he breaks the loaves and the fishes. Uh, the crowds are fed. Every single one of them is fed. And there are 12 basketfuls left, which you can read at the end of the story. Everybody has enough food. Everybody gets fed. Everybody eats. Everybody is satisfied. The Bible tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. What should be left at the end is that there's nobody else to tell the gospel to because everybody has heard it, everybody has received it. Why? Because I bought what I didn't have. I bought my all. I bought everything that I'd got and nothing was left. I bought everything to him. And the joy of our salvation is that God will do the rest. But we have to bring it, church. We have to bring it. Because my own self and your own self says, I would if I could, but I can't. How could I possibly? Oh, well, I've only got this, so I'm going to hold it back because it would be embarrassing to bring five loaves and two fish to a buffet with 5,000 people. How stupid would I feel? We, we don't really see it from that perspective, do we? But you see how the boy was brave enough to bring what little he had and said, God, I'm, as most, I'm not eloquent. I haven't got the capability, I haven't got the financial means, I haven't got the, not a, not a chance could I feed all these people. But he brought it and Jesus did the rest. So the challenge is there, isn't it, for you and me. As Paul is, is getting us to a position where we're thinking about who we are and why we are. And then as we share the gospel, because the love of Christ compels us to give our all to him, then we're literally in a position where 8,000 people can be fed through this young boy who had no packed lunch whatsoever. It wouldn't keep me going. Yet he kept everybody going and everybody had enough to eat. And this is the picture for us in a gospel-centered life living for Jesus, giving our all on a day-to-day -day basis. I can't, Jesus can. My situation is tough, and so was the boys, but Jesus did the rest. Listen, I'm doing all I can. Is that true? And if so, what impact are we having? Because we have to bring our all to him, don't we? It's not, look at me, I'm bringing my all. But rather, are we bringing our all to him and allowing God to do what needs to be done? I don't know what to do. Just bring what you do have and even what you don't and watch God do the rest. And that is just it, really. As simple as it is, that we'll never have enough. We'll never do enough. We'll never be good enough. But that's not the story, is it? When was it about you? When was it about me? It wasn't, was it? It was about him. And he has done what needed to be done so that we can sit or stand here this morning in a position where we have an opportunity to share that good news. To share that good news. Because of Christ's love for me, I can share the love of Christ. Because of what God has done for me, I can share to people around about me, to friends, to colleagues, to neighbours, to enemies, that God loves them and that he's given his best in Jesus Christ for them. Paul is reminding us what Christ has done. Live from that. Live for him. As Christians, we're saved and we're set free. But we have to realise that we have the power to be able to reach people. We have the power to have that confidence. We have the power to be able to step out of our comfort zone. It's called the Holy Spirit. We're not here, and, and I'm not here as bold as I am speaking about the Word of God just because I'm that type of person. The truth is I'm not. 
But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to do what seemingly is impossible, that we stand up for Christ, that we give our all for him. Not about us, but about him. And as Christians, we are in this position where we can bring our five small loaves, our two really tiny fish, and we can expect God to do miracles. Amen? We can expect God to do miracles in and through us and we'll conclude that next week let's pray lord this morning we just want to thank you that we've had an opportunity to again look into your word and lord i just pray that we might just not go from this place and not be affected by what your word has said but lord that we might just let it settle on our hearts that father you will put that fire in our bellies that we would just be keen we would just be bold we would be brave to tell people about you and about all that you've done through us, through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Lord, this morning, as the good news, as the gospel has been shared about our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, as that good news has been heard, Father, I pray for those that haven't yet accepted you as Lord and saviour. That, Father, that you would help them to put aside the things that are seemingly in the way. And, Father, that they would make the clear and significant decision to put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and that, Father, those immovable objects, those barriers that we put up around our hearts, that, Father, that you would smash them down and that lives might be changed. Father, that's our prayer. That will always be our prayer, that we can bring people to a point where they can realize that they have a Savior who loves them. So, Father, bless us now as we close in worship together. We ask all of these things in and through our Savior's precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been a podcast by Hope Church Gainsborough. For more information, visit www.hopechurchgainsborough.co.uk.